Welcome to 2D Pokies Under the Influence. My name is Pete Berthod, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. Virginia Tech beat the University of Delaware 27-0, and Robbie, I've got some mixed feelings about it. Why don't you give us a cheers? We'll make this one quick. Cheers to the defense. Thought they played damn hard and, and pretty well, and in particular, Tremaine Edmonds had himself a day. I thought his... The way he played, his stats, it was almost a coming out party for him, I think. After the first game, we've all been expecting big things from him, and it was just a matter of time they came out and just wrecked some people's worlds, and he managed to do it in this game. So uh, the defense into uh, Jermaine. Cheers. The defense definitely warrants a cheers, but I'd say for the most part, this was our coming back down to earth game a little bit for Josh Jackson and the offense. We were riding high after West Virginia and deservingly so, but uh, I think we saw the things that we were kind of expecting from the beginning, some things looking not so clean and, and so on and so forth. But let's start with our news and notes as always. Virginia Tech moved up to 16th from 18 in both the AP and the coaches poll. And, you know, at this point, we aren't going to have anything to warrant that ranking until we play Clemson and how good we play. But the higher we go, the better it's going to look for that matchup. Yeah, I think that is the goal. It's us taking care of business, and hopefully they do the same. Auburn was the first step, and I was pulling for Clemson to beat Auburn, and then hopefully this week, Louisville. So that uh, we're going into that potentially as a, a big positive for both programs. So if we both teams take care of business, I think they can. Obviously, Lamar is a big test for, for Clemson, but could be exciting. The next note I had was Tavante Beckett, our new backup Mike. He really emerged this past spring, and he just was suspended indefinitely from the team this is a bummer for our depth behind Motua Puaka. Beckett really showed to be a thumping hitter and someone who could really be a force as a linebacker going forward. I guess it's going to be Sean Hughes' old camp uh, at number two at the mic position now behind Motua Puaka. And there's also Ashby, who's a freshman, and, of course, Dylan Rivers, who's also a freshman. And all those guys will kind of have to fill the shoes of Beckett, who obviously hasn't played much to date. But uh, we were hoping that he will, and hopefully he'll be back with the team at some point. Yeah, Bud Foster said today that um, he wasn't sure. It was actually a little bit more positive, even though he didn't really say much, that he wasn't sure if he would be back on the team. I think I think if it was something really bad and you know, he was off indefinitely and there was no question about it, he would have just come out and said, you know, he's done. It's, it's over. So there's a gray area, and we'll see what happens. I think... Um, you know, right now we have our starter at middle, so let's just hope Matuapuaka stays healthy. I think if he does stay healthy, the bigger implication is, um, you know, Andrew's graduating. So next year, um, you know, uh, Devontae Beckett was supposed to be a key piece and and potentially fill in for that slot. So it sucks for next year, you know, if he, if he doesn't come back. I recall, uh, Sean Hueselkamp having to play the last time we went to Greenville, uh, in that rainstorm, he had to play some snaps. I can't remember if it was because someone got kicked out of the game or because Motuapuaka got nicked up, but he definitely was playing in that rain-soaked game that we last lost to ECU. Uh, did you have anything else as far as news and notes go? 
Yeah, I just wanted to, um, it's not news and notes, but it, it'll tie us right into the game, which is um, our inability to find a way to get our game on TV was awesome. So um, <laughs> the twitter reverse of uh, Hokie fans exploded uh, probably about 10 minutes before game time or at game time, depending on where you were. I was over at Joe's um, and uh, the key play and, and watching it or attempting to watch it there. And ESPN, the lovely app that is getting pumped by ESPN, that sucks. Dog shit. It is absolutely <laughs> miserable. It is the worst it worst app of all of them out there, whether it's YouTube or you know, Hulu Cast or any of those things. That It is absolutely terrible. Couldn't get the game on. All it was saying was the game was not found. It couldn't be played. Ugh. So we, so it was great. I, I sent out a nice little tweet making fun of... Uh, our program and our inability to get it out, which then we had to stream my phone to Joe's um, Apple TV. So <laughs> we're playing from my phone. Uh, this is not a joke. Playing You're playing from my the video. Phone. Yeah, the video from my phone. Well, evidently, people for once like one of my tweets because it ended up getting 42 um, <laughs> likes while we're trying to watch the game, though, and I have notifications on. So the whole time that we're playing off my phone, there's just notifications like responses and likes because none of the Hokie fans could watch the damn game because the ESPN app sucks. So with Babcock, you do a lot of amazing things for the program, but figure this shit out because it's unacceptable. Well, that it's it's you, on ESPN, right? Yeah. It, well, it is, but I mean, everybody's... There are you, partners in a It's easier way. to yeah, find yeah. a JMU game in UVA than it is, you know, that Virginia Tech game. It was, it was not good. And you can tell I'm not that heated about it. Yeah. I've had problems. Obviously, everyone's had problems with ESPN3 or the ESPN app in the past. Uh, I've sometimes gone to the Hokie Sports app and streamed the radio broadcast in in a pinch. I remember I did that for one of the basketball games this past year. But ESPN, that that's what it was, ESPN3, correct? Yeah, it was the uh, ESPN Go app. It was the only only place that you could, you could find it. That was insane. And we missed the whole first quarter. The whole first quarter was wiped out because we couldn't get it up and figure out a way to play it. Well, fortunately, you didn't miss much. The yeah, game that's right. started off really, really slow. And that, that's a good segue to our game recap. UD had the ball for 12 minutes and 27 seconds in the first quarter. And since they didn't score any points in the entire game, you can imagine that that wasn't so thrilling if you were in the stands like I was. It was really boring. There was no exciting plays. And we missed a couple chances for exciting plays uh, down the field. Both uh, James Clark and Savoy dropped passes that were in their hands, and they would have been kind of explosive plays or touchdowns maybe. Um, Stroman finally brought back a punt near the end of the first quarter to make it 7 nothing. Showed a lot of nice speed and a nice juke as well on that return and took it to the house. And that was right after I was I was saying that uh he's been good and bad at punts and he just he seems like he's just getting better. I mean, every time last year he brought it back, he seemed to get better from the year before. And now that one was one of the most impressive ones I've seen him have. Yeah, I mean he you can see he keeps his head up, he has really good vision, finds cutting lanes, he cut between two 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 guys uh, twice, so he kind of split the middle on guys you know, twice on that, and um, it's not like he's one of those guys that people are you know scared shitless and they kick away from, but people are definitely concerned and trying to avoid giving him you know a chance to to run it. So when he gets a chance, you know, more often than not, he's 
if he has a little bit of room, he's doing something good with it. Absolutely. He's definitely developed in that regard. In the second quarter, we put two pretty decent drives together, got a 50-yard field goal from Joey Sly, which was nice, and then the TD pass to Trayvon, which looked like an inverted veer, and they really sold it because it was blocked that way. And then it gave Josh the option to either run an inverted veer, run, or flip it to McMillan, and he did, and it was a very pretty-looking touchdown. And it was written about a couple times, I think, on the key play uh, today and yesterday. So we were up 17 nothing at the half, <clears throat> but being there, it felt worse than that. The third quarter was pretty much just as boring. We missed uh, another field goal that would made the th- – the, I think that was the fourth on the year because we missed one in the first half. We got an interception on a nice tip by Tim Settle and then a grab by Terrell, but on the very next play, uh, Cam Phillips put it on the ground, and you can debate whether he had possession or not, but – one play later, we gave away the turnover we had just gotten. Yeah, that was brutal. That <laughs> I yeah, first of all, that doesn't happen very often. I, I and I don't know. Can has he put it on the ground that you could recall? I was started to look, and unfortunately, I think two years ago he had a key fumble maybe against Georgia Tech or something. I'm yeah, trying to remember, but it, it's nothing that I could recall. Or and Joe and I were talking about it at the time, and he couldn't recall anything. So it's pretty infrequent um and you know it happens it was also a function of where the how the pass timing actually happened because he kind of got stuck you know in in where that ball kind of at the time that he caught it it was not great when the defender was you know hitting him at the same point so it happens you know cam phillips has done so much for the team continues to that nobody's really going to give him uh, a hard time it was a kind of a fluky Uh, turnover to say the least but early in the fourth quarter we got a nice long td to cam phillips when the uh, delaware cornerback fell down in the end zone and that made it 24 nothing and that corner for ud and their defense as a whole they played a hell of a game and we'll talk about them a little bit more in a minute but fortunately on that play the corner fell down and we go up 24 nothing we added one more field goal with nine minutes left and that was it for scoring we didn't do any more scoring after the nine-minute mark in the fourth quarter. It would have been nice to punctuate it with one more touchdown or something. But we won 27 to nothing. It was a shutout, and you cheers the defense, and they deserve it. Uh, but we we have some some of the bad stuff I think we should probably talk about first. Yeah, I think we can kick it off with the negatives. Uh, you know, let's let's hop at a high level and then dive into the details. It It's one of those games where... You know, people saw the stat line. I listened to the podcast today from the national writers and, um, you know, whether it's Athlon Sports or otherwise, and, you know, none of them could watch that game because we could barely watch that game. <laughs> and they're all thinking the, the commentary was Virginia Tech took care of business, right? Which is yeah. also the way I felt after I calmed down afterwards, but it didn't, it wasn't pretty. Right, it, you didn't feel good about what was happening. You didn't feel, you know, like that. Uh, the the offense really took a step forward, and thank in anything, it regressed um, pretty materially from week one, I think. But that's okay. You know, once you calm down, you kind of think about it. At the end of the day, I think about it as, um, you know, what were they the, even trying to do? Right. Yeah, it's the. Big Lebowski, you know, when Walter says to him, it's like, nothing's effed here, dude. You know, you, you got to take a chill pill. That's how I felt. But, you know, the negatives um, were were substantial, I think, on the offensive side of the ball. I couldn't find much on the defense, but um, 
you know, I don't know. What are your thoughts on the right. offense? Only 303 yards, a hard time running the football, and some of that was by design. Uh, we weren't going to run Jackson a lot. I don't think that would have been smart, and they didn't want to do it. And they wanted to, I guess, take some shots down the field, maybe polish up the passing game. And I don't think Fuente really wanted to pound it into the line 100 times in this game. Uh, maybe if we'd gotten up 49 nothing at the half or something, he would have done something like that. But uh, we couldn't connect early. Uh, Josh was a little inaccurate, maybe a little anxious, and you know missed some throws. Uh, and he had the QBR to boot. I was talking about how good his QBR was in the West Virginia game. It was only 27.8 in this game, which is pretty dreadful, but I also don't really know how it was quite that bad because his his regular numbers weren't that bad, and QBR takes into account both passing and running and the situation in the game. But regardless, it was an ugly, uh, from from an efficiency standpoint, there, but his actual passer rating wasn't that bad. It was about the same as the West Virginia game. Well, all the stats that you know, we do our own stats on him were almost exactly the same from completion percentage, um, you know, number of completions, yarded. Everything was very similar. There was only a couple things that really stood out, and he was. They were obviously throwing it deeper. So uh, I track all the attempts, the distance of attempt on every single pass. It was about four yards further on average. There was 29 passes, I think, against West Virginia and like 26 or maybe that's flip-flop. So it was pretty close. And and they were, we were definitely going deeper um, this time around. But overall, the stats were the same. It was really just the opponent. Their defense actually did look good, but it's still Delaware, right? You, you know, right. you just got to – the talent level, the the – the star rating of the guys coming in, the athleticism is just not the same. And that's really what, um, you know, that that really didn't feel like good. But I, I think Fuente and 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 Cornelson probably came out not really – I don't know if they really care that much. I don't think no. that was really the point. I think, if anything, the point was what ended up happening, which they wanted to take a redshirt freshman and – have him throw it downfield into coverage and see what he could do. And when it got bad, but the game was within control, that's good experience. You know what it I mean? Is. That, 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 that is a positive that, that I took out of this game is putting a, a redshirt freshman in that scenario where you're not at risk to lose the game, but he's not completing passes. It's not looking as good. He's, it's he's not you know being a world beater like he 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 came off being in in West Virginia can be a positive and help him take steps forward. At the same time, you want to see him make that seam pass to Trayvon McMillan, or as we've called it in the past, a pop pass. It was right there. McMillan probably would have been gone. Uh, there was the one the drops we already talked about by right in Savoy's hands. The one to Clark, I think, was a little bit tougher. But those both could have been caught, and that would have helped out their quarterback. But the one in McMillan, you know, that was that was on Josh. Uh, and the O-line seemed to struggle a bit. University of Delaware defensive line was getting pressure with three down linemen over and over again, and it was noticeable in the stadium. I'm sure it was noticeable on TV once you were able to see it. Uh, they couldn't open up the holes that we were talking about in the last game for the running backs. And no, they – weren't going to pound it in the line, but we did have 19 carries for the running backs and they only got 60 yards. So yeah. just a shade over three yards of carry yeah. and uh, seven hurries on Josh Jackson from that defensive line by UD. So the O-line, they, 
I don't know if they weren't ready to go or what, but that was the most concerning of all the areas because they have no excuse for the vanilla scheme. You know, they sh- they're just supposed to knuckle up and push someone back, and and they just weren't really doing that as well as I thought they should have been. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. And if the run game's not there, then they're going to sell out against the pass. I mean, we we know how this you know how this story works because we've mm-hmm. been dealing with it for a long time, quite frankly, at this point. Um, and you know the stats that I had against you know comparing the two games together and what he did, um, I thought it was interesting. Ninety-one percent um, of his passes he completed against WVU on first down. It was fifty-seven against Delaware. That's a huge drop off. So you're already in yeah. second down fifty percent of the you know sixty percent of the time, and then we went three for eleven and third down. I think those two stats alone explain almost this entire game from a passing perspective. You know, you can talk about the run game and what wasn't there. I don't know that we really put a whole lot of effort into it. If we did, then that's absolutely concerning. But um, I don't know if that was the game plan going in. And, you know, if you look at They were more aggressive on first down in this game, I thought. And that's part of it. Part of it was I felt Josh was a little bit not as locked in. And um, so, you know, it's a little bit of scheme, a little bit of the you know execution, but ultimately it got us again into a lot of third down situations that weren't favorable. And we went three for 11. And when you combine that with what we did last week, we're now 123rd in the nation on third down at 23%. So that's something that needs to come up. That's, you know, seven from the bottom. Yeah, no, uh, that is 30 teams. You got to execute better on third down, guys. Last year, uh, with Evans and Ford and Bucky, we were at forty-two percent on third down, and that was forty-sixth nationally. If you can be top fifty on third down, that's that's fantastic. That's more than enough. Hopefully, Josh and the guys can bring that back up into the you know top half of FBS because right now one twenty-three, we're not going to win a lot of games if we can't execute on third. Well, I mean, I'm interested. First of all, I there's some things that you can take away from. You can overemphasize because it's only two games into the season. That's not one of them. Execution on third down is essential. And if you want to look at it, no, you know, even more importantly, look at what Bud Foster talks about. Bud Foster's number one thing that he talks about is third down and stopping people on third down. That's how they he one of the measurements he does for the defense and flip it to our offense. It's important. What I find interesting is. What's the what's the cause? And I haven't gone through all the plays. I know it's abysmal, but with Gerard Evans, he could pull it down and get that third time, third down a lot of times with his feet. That is not an option with our quarterback, and that's not to say Josh Jackson can't run, but he's just not as mobile and not as big, and he's not a power bruising quarterback that we had that could make you know get that third down at at, at in times that maybe. Otherwise, you're taking a sack or you're throwing it out of bounds. So we need to find a way to be efficient on first and second down because there is something that we're going to be lacking in terms of skill set, I think, this year. I agree, man. As far as the negatives on the defense, only bad thing I could say is UD had a couple sustained drives, and they were in our red zone a couple times, even had a first and goal. Uh, So... But that's it. And throughout the course of a game, when your offense is kind of puttering, putzing around, uh, that's going to happen. And so the defense played excellently. On special teams, the two for four on field goals was not good. 
again. One was blocked and one was really long, so not nearly as bad as the two chip shots that Joey missed last week. But you still want to make those. Fifty <laughs> percent isn't isn't great. Um, anyway, let's move on to the good stuff. Yeah, and I think they're. I mean, we'll, we'll start with the defense because I think they deserve it. So um, you had uh, Trevon Hill. He had the fumble recovery, three tackles, one and a half for loss. We talked about Tremaine Edmonds, fourteen tackles, six solo, solo, one and a half sacks, uh, four for a loss. Uh, Mook, which I didn't even see this during the game. I, I probably wasn't paying attention to it. He still had another 11 tackles and a sack. Um, you know, they, the guys just put up stats. And then you had Terrell Edmonds with that interception, which I thought he was going to take back to the house. So, yeah. uh, you know, you can that go. That quarterback's pretty quick, the one that caught him. <laughs> yeah, it was incredible. But you can go through, granted, the whole defense played well, but you can go through statistically six or seven guys that all put up you know, really good numbers in this game and they all played exceptional. And that's not even to mention the defensive front and what settle and, and Walker and those guys were doing because they were really bottling up the run. So it, it really just looked, it looked great. Yeah. I mean, a shutout period is fantastic. And then 12 tackles for loss as a team is extremely high. That, that rarely happens in any game in any season. That's a lot of tackles for loss, and four of those being sacks. Um, Tremaine really was a savage in this game, as his Twitter handle says, but he really was. <laughs> uh, he, he filled literally every category with sacks, forced fumble, tackles for loss, everything. Uh, and one other guy I wanted to point out you didn't mention was Reggie Floyd. Ten yep. tackles, and he seemed to be in on a lot of plays, especially early. You're right about Mook. He had a nice bounce back. I didn't really notice him as much as I was noticing Floyd, and maybe that's because I left the game in like the early fourth quarter and <laughs> missed some of the tackles at the end. But uh, but Floyd was making all kinds of plays when I was rewatching the game, so that was that was nice to see because we're looking like we're set at safety at, at the very least for the rest of this year, and hopefully going forward with him and Devin Hunter and you know Divine Diablo. Like we got a, a lot of guys along with Terrell Edmonds that are all playing strong at safety right now, so. That's that's really encouraging. Yeah, it's a dangerous defense. There's a lot of guys still in here that can make plays, which is exciting and it's um it's it's good. I think the offense, there's still positives to take away. Josh Jackson, you know, we went through things that he can improve on. He protected the football. And mm-hmm. I know we talk about it. It's you know, but Brad and you know, Coach Fuente talk about it all the time. They want known outcomes and they want people that are gonna protect the football. And you can say what you want about him. He went 16 for 28, 222 yards. He had two TDs, and he didn't throw a pick. And that's, you know, really what... It's darn good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, it, it, beggars can't always be choosers. And guess what? Right now, I think we have somebody that we can feel confident um, in under center because he is he is prioritizing one of the two to three factors that Fuente used to choose the quarterback in the first place. Savoy was impressive again. Four catches, 63 yards, including the long gain of the day at 38. And that was a really nice grab. Then he went up and got that ball, I thought. And, you know, we mentioned what Cam Phillips, he just does what he does. Six catches, 90 yards, and a touchdown. Yeah, I think we're starting to see a little bit of what could be, right? So we have Cam Phillips, wide receiver one. I think Savoy, I think, 
unless you think otherwise, is number two by far. Yeah. And in terms of targets and completions and the catch that he made, like you said, jumping up and getting it, we have uh, Clark, who hasn't really connected a ton with Josh Jackson, but has the speed, and he's the one that can kind of take the top off of things and go deep. He can burn people. That guy is fast as hell. And granted, it hasn't paid off. You know, we haven't hit pay dirt with that yet. But I think if those two get on the same page and, you know, the ball's put in the right place, that could be helpful. So we're, I feel good about three and then probably, you know, four, five, maybe wide receivers that we can put out on the field. After that, it, it kind of, it kind of dissipates. Uh, and, but, you know, that's, improvement i guess savoy i was not expecting to be as productive as he has been so far now he looks good man i know they were hyping him up and talking about him and i just you know they had been talking about pimpleton a lot in the spring too and and eric kuma a lot in the spring too so i wasn't sure what to think about savoy especially since i don't think he was there in spring i think he just showed up at fall camp yeah uh, as a freshman. So, and his body's developed. He's not a small guy, even though, you know, he's a little bit on the shorter side, he's pretty built and he moves well. And seems other than he did have the drop, but then he goes up and makes that other catch yeah. and they're using him in all kinds of ways. I mean, he had seven total touches in the last game and, and, uh, four, five in this game. So yeah, they're definitely going to be using him and good because without Savoy, who would who would be making plays for us right now? You know, I, it's kind of concerning because my boy Kuma, who I was saying was going to be my breakout player, still is without a catch. Yeah, you have CJ Carroll, who I, I forgot to mention before, who looks all right, but really in terms of touches, it's Cam and then Savoy, then a pretty meaningful drop off to CJ Carroll in terms of total receptions. So. um yeah, you know, we need we got to find that depth, and we're gonna have to find it quickly because um, you know we we can probably get away with the next couple games, but after that we're gonna start needing to uh, to spread the ball around a little bit more to some other players. Yeah, I think we absolutely need to get McMillan and Clark the ball more. Um, Savoy too, but he's already been getting the ball a lot. McMillan and Clark are our best chances for explosive plays just because they're both so fast uh, that I'd like to see more of that. I'm also you know, a huge McMillan fan and have always kind of wondered how they haven't figured out exactly how to use him best. And some of it's on the player and probably more of it's on the player than it's on the coaches. But uh, I think those two guys, Clark and McMillan, they need more touches and they could be the X factor for this. We'll see what happens with Keen and Cunningham. Because I know those guys will be contributors, and hopefully as Keen gets more comfortable in the scheme and everything, he'll be getting a lot more catches and can do some different things for us too. Yep. The last good stuff was just on special teams. You know, We talked about Stroman and the return game, but the punting was good again. Oscar Bradburn, uh, who's now going to, what, be our middle linebacker after today's yeah, comment? Yeah, after today's comment. <laughs> looked averaged, uh, what, solid 46 yards on punts. I think it was 45 and a half or something along those lines. Yep, I'm going yep, off of memory. 45.6 yards per punt. Um, and the comment I'm referring to is someone asked him about tackling a returner, if he ever gets a returner to come his way. And he said in his Australian accent, I'll deck him straight away. I'll put him on his ass. <laughs> I love it. Rugs, I that's gonna, a rugby I'm, response. I should have done that in an Australian accent, but I just I'm not that good at it, so I passed it up. <laughs> yeah, you would have embarrassed yourself, I promise you. <laughs> uh 
miscellaneous things. 11 penalties on University of Delaware, and there were so many false starts. And that one series, it was either three or four, and one was separated by an actual play. But it was almost like four consecutive false starts in a row. It was insane. Yeah, and I would also pay attention to everybody that's listening to this is obviously a football junkie, but uh, Delaware had a sideline warning. So they the the refs this year are not screwing around with that, yeah. and if you get two of them, basically you're out. It's just like a, just like a player. So you know, Fuente uh, he usually keeps his cool, except for you know a couple games last year. But that's no joke. They're they're making a point to call people yeah. on the sideline stuff. If you're stepping out onto the field to yell at refs, um, they'll call you on it. And if you get two of those, you're out of the game. And there, that's that's just fact. <laughs> so, yeah. um, and Delaware had one in this game. Each team had one in the West Virginia game on both sides. So it's just something to keep your mind, you know, keep your eye on that. Um, you know, they they came out and made a point to call those on people this year. And let's just hope it doesn't backfire in any games we're involved in. That's going to be a problem for some of those hothead coaches out there. Fortunately, Fuente is a very cool customer. But your Narduzzi's, must, your must Brian champ. Kelly's, must, must champ. champ. Oh, he's done. Uh, there's no chance he's. Holgerson gonna... himself came darn close to getting a couple of those. So, yep. um, there's more fiery coaches. Got to got to keep an eye out. Jalen Holston finally got his first carries of the year. Uh, eight for 32 yards. He was actually our leading rusher. It was nice to see him get out there. We knew he was going to get carries this year, and if he keeps showing good stuff in practice and in games, you know, he'll keep getting carries, but I still think we're going to be looking mostly at the three-headed monster of Peoples, McLeese, and McMillan for the most part this year. Did you have any final overall thoughts? No, I I think it's, let's just put it in the past. It was a game. (laughs) Yeah, it was a game. It was not fun to watch. I wish it was more. I wish it was a blowout, but defense did great. The offense did what they needed to do, and uh, if anything, I'm gonna I'm gonna try and look at it as a positive. It gives, and I'm a big proponent of this. It gives Fuente and you know the team some uh, fodder some to to go to the players and say, hey, you know, the, even this Delaware team kind of kept you guys up against the ropes for a little while. You know, step it up. It proved everything that we thought at the beginning of the season before it started that Tremaine and the defense. They were as advertised prior to the season in this game. And we also uh, saw what we thought we'd see in that Josh Jackson uh, isn't quite ready to just sit back there and deal passes. We need the run to help the pass. And he's not ready, and neither are the weapons. <laughs> so we we need them both to come along. And that's all the stuff we thought before the year, and we saw them both in this game. Wasn't ecstatic by any means, but I was pleased overall. Uh, you know, when you look back at a twenty-seven nothing shutout against what I think will be a pretty decent FCS team, I tweeted out, "I want to see what happens in that JMU Delaware game." It's the same day as our Clemson game. That's going to be interesting, and it's at Delaware. So yeah. both of the def- the defending national champs will be in the house of the two teams that just played this past week. Yeah, and my only final thought is, I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't discount. The fact that Fuente really wants to beat Clemson this year and really doesn't want to show show them shit. And, you know, 
I, I'm not playing on the team, so you know I don't really care about talking about this stuff. But if we take care of business these next two games, I'm not saying that we will. But if we do, and if Fuente really wants to be Clemson, and I think he's still pissed off that about how things ended last year, so he's not going to be showing much. And if he can skate by with a win at ECU and at Old Dominion without showing a lot of things on tape. He had to during West Virginia because we needed that W, but if they don't have to show more, then they're not going to. I'm with you, man. Let's take a quick beer break. What are you drinking? So I have the Breaking Bud. It's um, it, it's actually pretty clever. So it's um, one of those kind of tall boy cans, but it is, uh, it's a spinoff of the Breaking Bad. It's got this kind of cool graphics that is um, has like the BR and the BU from Breaking Bad, the show, and it's got uh, the guy in the you know white suit that he's about to cook up some meth in the basement, and it's uh, it's an IPA. It's Knee Deep Brewing Company, who I'd never heard of. They are out of Auburn, California, so I figured that was uh, that was good after you know I picked Clemson, so I figured I'd pat myself on the back. Uh, it's a West Coast IPA. It's good. It's um, it's kind of a chill, not very. It's a little bit of hop, but it's actually got a little bit uh, more of kind of the you know that dank kind of um, you know a little bit of malt in in, in the beginning actually, and the hop actually kind of kicks in on the back uh, the back end of it. A little bit of fruit. It's it's a pretty good IPA. I like it, and I like the can, and I like uh, I like the brew, the company now because this can's awesome. It's uh, a spin off of a bunch of meth dealers. <laughs> I'm drinking the Waxing Poetic by Triple Crossing Brewing Company out of Richmond. My buddy from Richmond, Nick, gave me this beer last week when we were in Blacksburg together, and it's one of those goes beers, whether you say goes or goza. I actually think those are two different things, um, and at one point at a beer bar, someone is explaining to me the difference, and I have no idea what it is, and I don't know which one this is, but it is sour as hell. Uh, it's one of the most sour beers I've ever had. I'm not a huge sour beer fan, so... In terms of how many it is, it's not that many to say it's the most sour one I've ever had, but it's very sour. It's a peach pineapple goes beer uh, called Waxing Poetic. It's a, a beer liner Weiss is the description of the on the side here, but 4% alcohol. So it's not punching you with a lot of alcohol, but man, I, I, I'll just be quite honest. I don't like it, but I don't like goes beers. Thanks, Nick. I, 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 I try – I tr- I'm trying to like them. Like I'm trying to keep trying them and maybe at some point I'll have them because beer lovers, a lot of them really do like these sour beers. I just can't quite get into them. But I can't do more than one. Give it a try. Yeah. Don't base it on what I'm saying. Yeah. Go to Triple Crossing. Try it in Richmond. But it's it's not my thing. Yeah. I can do like a sour or two, but after that I'm like TKO. It's just there. It's 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 too much. It's like trying to eat. And then, yeah. I, that, that said, it's it's like – eating the whole bag of Sour Patch kids instead of just having like three of them. <laughs> and there's no sweet aftertaste. It's only <laughs> sour. All right. So East Carolina, they're coming off their worst season in 12 years after firing Ruffin McNeil. Last year was Scotty Montgomery's first year as the head coach. He's the former Duke offensive coordinator and they finished three and nine and 100th in the S and P. And coming into this year, they're projected for pretty much that same area, literally 100 by Bill Connolly in the projected S&P. 
and 112th by Athlon and 109th by Lindy. So no one that does these projections was figuring they'd be pretty good. And I think they might actually be worse than all of those bad projections. In 2017, they're already 0-2. They had a 20-point home loss to JMU and a 36-point loss at West Virginia. They were down 49-3 to to West Virginia at the half. And the only reason they lost by 36 was because of garbage time. After the game, they reassigned their defensive coordinator to a different position, a non-coaching position within the team, and uh, promoted someone from within to, to take over those duties. It's kind of a mess right now over at ECU. Yeah, it doesn't look good. I can't – across the country, I can't think of a program that's probably regretting their coaching move more except for maybe um, you know Hugh Freeze, backing Hugh Freeze for too long. But other than that, firing Ruffin McNeil looks like the stupidest decision that they've ever made because they were – they were doing well. I mean, it was like 10 win season. You know, they were killing it. And we talked about how we didn't understand the Scotty Montgomery move, the hiring or the firing of Ruffin McNeil, who went to Maryland, I believe. Um, if I have that, have that right. He was in a, went over to be an assistant at Maryland. He went to, he went to UVA. Oh, sorry. Right? Yeah. Yeah. UVA. That, that's and now it. he's with Oklahoma. Yeah. And, um, but he was doing really well with the program, and the wheels have come off. There was a ton of turnover um, on the the defensive coaching staff beneath the defensive coordinator, and now you have to to start the season, um, which was I believe they had um, like their D line coach was new, their secondary coach was new, and then there was some other turnover, and then now you have the reassignment of the the defensive coordinator. So it's right. an absolute, you know, mess over there right now. And it was also a scheme switch to boot because they were switching to a four two five on defense, I believe, and they used to always run that three four, uh, or maybe three three five. I'm not exactly sure, but they had a scheme change a regime change, and now they've got a mid-season coaching change. Uh, and there's no more Zay Jones. There's no more James Summers. Nelson, the quarterback who started the year last year, he's gone. Uh, and the magic is gone from the days of ECU overachieving. It, it, they're no longer the Skip Holtz ECU or the Ruffin McNeil ECU. They are uh, – they're in deep crap. <laughs> yeah, that's not to say they can't get back there. I mean, they're it's a good program. Their fan base has uh, has gotten behind them increasingly over the years, so they have a lot more support amongst the fan base. And so it's not to you know I'm not going to belittle them. I mean, it's a team that's beat us you know a couple times. So, yeah. but the fact is is that they they got to get their their shit figured out because they're they're kind of up the creek right now on the way things have played out. They've had a lot of things go against them. That's that's for sure. It wasn't just firing a very good coach after one bad season. It was a lot of little things. And then, you know, when any coach comes in, we've seen it at Texas. It takes some time to to build it back up. Tom Herman just had an embarrassing opening week loss when everyone thought he was just going to go to Texas and win immediately. It can take time. And ho for Scotty Montgomery's sake, I thought he was a good OC under Cutcliffe. I was, you know, not necessarily rooting for him, but I thought it was a good hire. Mm -hmm. And uh, they've had guys transfer. They've had 
guys ruled academically ineligible right before this season. They have not had anything go their way. Yeah. Let's, let's put it that way. No, that's right. And, it, yeah, it's not an indictment of Scotty as much as it is. It's just no, nobody – you can't justify what they did with Ruffin, and a lot of – it still pisses off a lot of people. There were, there were tweets from all the national writers in the last week about how – how dumb it ends up looking because it just didn't make any sense at the time. And when things go bad after you make a move that doesn't make any sense, then you pay the price and you deserve to. Right. And they were all over Twitter and social media last week. That's for sure. We destroyed them last year after two years of losing to them in a row, 54 to 17. And it really could have been even worse. In fact, it went a lot like the West Virginia game just went versus ECU, where we were just killing them at halftime, and the second half was just basically a wash. This year, like I said, they lost the all-time receptions leader in Zay Jones, new quarterbacks, uh, just a lot of new faces, especially on defense but also on offense. And there is one familiar face, at least for us, at quarterback, and that's transfer Thomas Sirk, who came from Duke and beat us two years ago in a game in which one of the best games of his career, four touchdowns, nearly 400 yards. And it was extremely painful because tech lost in quadruple overtime at home. Yeah. Uh, if we thought we finally could escape Thomas Sirk, that that's not the case. There, it was him versus garden Minshew and both of those mm-hmm. quarterbacks have played. And in fact, garden Minshew was the one that started at, against JMU and Thomas Sirk got the head nod at some point during the game. I didn't go back and watch it, and he came in. The opposite happened in game number two, I believe, against West Virginia, where it started as Thomas Sirk, and then towards the end, I think Gardner Minshew got got the head nod after Thomas Sirk threw 450 interceptions. Um, But, you know, so far it has not looked good. Thomas Sirk is currently on concussion protocol, with, but they are saying that he will play as long as he is healthy. My, my suspicion is that he's going to be in the game. Um, yeah. But, you know, he was 16-34 to 34 with 191 yards um, against West Virginia, but he threw two interceptions. And then that's when I think Minshew took over, and, you know, it didn't look that much better combined the two of them have two TD passes on the year and five interceptions. That's not your best stat. Um, and listen, I, you know, I, I, I can't talk, you know, I, I don't want to be too down on them given what we've had to deal with, with Thomas Sirk in the past and who knows what they come out. I think of this as their offense is, um, you know, a little bit of a snake back into a corner here, and they have nothing to lose, zero to lose at this point, and we do. But um, the QB position does not look uh, very positive for them. And if you watched, I watched the, a lot of the West Virginia game, it looked pretty ugly. To me, it's a disadvantage against us to uh, to have Cirque in the game because he is a dual threat. Like I'd much rather face Minshew, even though he's probably the better passer. His percentage doesn't say that this year, but I think he is the better passer of the two guys in a pure passing sense. He's not as big. He's 6'2", Cirque is 6'4", Cirque has more mass on him, uh, and we, we saw what he could do with those punishing runs into the end zone or right down in our goal line area two years ago. So I would rather face Minshew. Um I think Cirque is going to be clear to the concussion, and he's probably going to play. So 
they again, they get this thing at ECU where we always have to prepare for two quarterbacks. We've been doing it with James Summers and Philip Nelson and uh, who's the really good guy they had two years ago that beat us at home. I can't think uh, of okay. right now. <laughs> no, I, I'll think of it. Shane Carden. Yes, Shane. Uh, <laughs> and they still have the weapons at wide receiver too. So whichever one of these quarterbacks is in the game, they still have Jimmy Williams, they still have Quay Johnson, they still have Davon Grayson. I've been reading these names off every year yeah. <laughs> for three years now. Well, and in our preview, we thought Quay Johnson would be the guy, but because he put up 600 yards at three TDs last year, he isn't even in the top five of or top four of reception leaders for them. Or if he is, he's number mm-hmm. four. It's actually Drayvon Grayson. He has 162 yards. Trayvon Brown has 146, and Jimmy Williams has 127. So there's four to five wide receivers that you got to you know, be cognizant of out there on defense. Yeah. So once they do pick a quarterback and who knows, they've played the two guys in both of the games already. They're probably both going to play in this game because if Cirque does start, Tremaine's probably going to hit him and re-aggravate that concussion. (laughs) I think it's probably the case. (laughs) I'm not, I shouldn't laugh, but it's just, it's likely. Uh, So we're probably going to see both of these clowns and, they're going to have good opportunities to get yards on us. We just need to get off the field on third down against this team. That's going to be absolutely key because they've got some good running backs in Tyshawn Dye, who's a Clemson transfer, and Darrell Scott, Hussein Howe. They, they've got skill players on this team. Uh, it's just that it hasn't come together for them quite yet. Yeah, and all of it, everything's by com- committee here. Right, so that's right. that's a scary part of the wide receiving core and their running backs is they spread the ball around with the running backs. They spread the ball. None of the none of the running backs have less than of the three have less than fifty yards or more than seventy five. So everybody's been getting relatively equal touches between the three of them. So when you have that many people out there, we just got to be cognizant of who's playing, and they're going to have fresh bodies. Yeah. They will. And they they keep doing this. They always have had these athletic guys on the outside for, for many years now. Uh, their O-line, that has been a little bit suspect, particularly the snapping issues. They've rotated like three guys in at center and have had at least three snaps go awry. And I saw one in the West Virginia game I was watching. And I know in the JMU they had some problems. And I think they got a freshman playing at center right now. So that is – Definitely not good for that poor bastard against Timmy Settle and Ricky Walker. That offensive line, who going into the year I thought was going to be above average, they're protecting in the sense that they're not giving up a ton of tackles for loss or sacks, but the team is getting crushed in in the games they're playing. So I don't think it's playing that well. Their offense has been questionable, but their defense has been downright putrid. 129th in total D. 616 yards per game, virtually the same amount of yardage versus both JMU and West Virginia. The difference is JMU ran for 400-plus yards and West Virginia passed for 400-plus yards. So I don't know which side is worse for them, the running defense or the passing defense, but uh, they both don't seem very good right now. I mean, we said, yeah, this... We said going into this that the defense was going to be has potential to be an absolute disaster, and it was the, it has become that and even more. Um, and I think the switch 
I think it was a three-man front to a four-man front was what it actually ended up being. Yeah, it, it is absolutely putrid. So, you know, to take a step back, I think this could be a game, a second game in a row, where Josh Jackson doesn't have to be perfect. He can, our coach and offensive coordinator can, can do some things and put him in some situations that he may fe- face against what's going to be an exceptional defense a couple weeks down the road and you know see what see what he can do without the risk of a pick six or things like that he can play it safe but you know uh, and still put the ball out there and and throw it around i i would imagine we're probably going to see that again i don't see the game plan against this defense changing because it's it's just that bad i mean will greer looked like you know he looked like Manziel when Manziel won the Heisman out there with his five touchdowns. If if you saw, it was he was they were not just they were all like twenty five yards or longer passes, and he connected on like four of them. I think only one of the five touchdowns was like inside of a twenty yard pass. It was outrageous. They were just launching it downfield. He's making it rain, man. Yeah, but I I I I don't expect anything different from us. So if if we started throwing longer passes in the Delaware game, which we did, I would expect it to be that and probably a little bit more in this game. Um, just to, you know, this is a good test to see what he can do downfield to be able to use his arm. And I, I don't see why the game plan would be that much different from what we just saw against Delaware, given how shitty this defense really is, or at least they have been in the first two games. I agree with you uh, to a point, and I'll explain. Uh, going into the year, I thought their defensive backs were going to be really good. They had a lot of guys returning in Simmons and Colby Gore and Corey Surgeon. And it should be noted, Corey Gore is also Colby Gore is also in that concussion protocol for Saturday, same as Cirque, and we'll see if he plays. But Trevon Simmons transferred right before the year, and he was a really good safety for them. And two of the guys who are playing the best for them are Irvin and Wiggins, who is a Clemson transfer. So the consistency that we were seeing from that secondary has completely changed this year. I think that we are going to be able to pass the ball pretty well, but I was thinking more, maybe not completely down the field, but that 15 to 25 range. And that, that's, that's kind of where I think Fuente is going to find the sweet spot. Their defensive line's no good either. So this is a perfect opportunity for the running backs to gain the type of yardage they did against West Virginia. It's, it's similar in quality in terms of uh, in terms of the defensive linemen, but there are far less decent guys on this defensive line. There's one, maybe two. Uh, Keontae Anderson has three and a half tackles for loss through two games. It's so hard to tell with these guys' numbers because so much of their game has been in garbage time. Yeah. I mean, they were down pretty big to JMU with a lot of time left and down for an entire half, 49-3 to against West Virginia. So it's... It's hard to know what you're looking at with these stats. Well, but. and that defense is such a mess that at one point they even said it during the WVU game. They pulled back their linebackers off of you know back in to help with coverage on throwing because Will Greer was just carving them up so bad. So, you know, if it goes that same way and we connect on a, a few, and and after that the run game just was wide open for West Virginia. It was just it was already pretty open because of what they had on the line, but it just was you know gashing through the center on people. So 
I, I, I think this could be interesting. I don't, assuming that we're having success on offense and this defense is as bad as we expect it to be, I don't think you're going to see a lot. I think it's going to be about as vanilla as an offense as we can put out there because I you don't think so. I don't think I don't think Fuente wants to show a lot of tape to Clemson. I I know maybe I'm I'm that's just me and nobody else, everybody else just thinks no all these guys take it one game at a time. I've it's been a long time since I've seen a coach that during an interview was that felt like they could have beaten the eventual national champs and I think Fuente's going to take that game really seriously and doesn't want to show a lot of film. He also recognized how big the WVU, WVU game was to us and to the fan base, and they showed more than probably they would have if we were playing some FBS team or other FBS team. Yeah, I, I still think since it's a road game and you, you just can't dismiss it. I'm not saying that you're dismissing it. I'm just saying I, don't, I think they're going to need a little something. This is a freshman in his first true road game. I think they gotta help him out at least in the fourth quarter. You'll for, first quarter you'll see some interesting things on offense. It won't be like the University of Delaware game, and it's funny because this defense that we're about to play might be worse than that Delaware defense. It definitely it, it, it is really worse. It's absolutely worse because that Delaware defense is going to play. They play against JMU, and I guarantee you when we look at the stat lines of what happened <laughs> versus ECU and and versus Delaware, I bet you. Um, I bet you that it's actually worse. Yeah, that'll be interesting once that comes out. Uh, do you want to take a quick beer break and then do our final analysis with our pick against the spread? Yeah, let's do it. What are you drinking? I'm having the Cigar City Invasion. This is a pale ale, and I picked this beer because it's essentially a maroon and orange can. And if you remember when Bud Light was putting out the college cans and they didn't say anything about the college, like with any trademarks, but it was like a maroon and orange Bud Light can. This looks exactly like that. I tweeted out a picture of it, but on the front, there's a picture of a pirate and the name of the beer is invasion. So it is literally the perfect beer to preview ECU with. And it's your standard pale ale. It's got that pale ale bitterness, uh, about 5% alcohol. And I like Everything from Cigar City, for the most part, I've had a couple of their lagers. Obviously, had the High Lie and, and some IPAs as well. But this is a uh, this is definitely an easy drinking pale ale. The Invasion by Cigar City. What are you having, Robbie? Uh, so I'm having Maltov Light, Maltov cocktail, but it's Maltov Light uh, by Evil Twin Brewing. Evil Twin out of Stratford, Connecticut. They make great beer. This is actually um, Imperial IPA, right up my alley. This sucks. So uh, I've drinking, drank, drunk, whatever the case may be. <laughs> More IPAs on this podcast. I'm probably at like 80 or something. So I think uh, I think I have a sense of what is a, a decent IPA. I don't know what they did this beer for it's not very good whatsoever i can't even explain the taste it's just really it was an attempt in an imperial they threw in like a bunch of hops i think some of like somebody actually you're bringing up cigar city i think somebody dropped a couple cigars in the tank while i was getting brewed because it has this <laughs> lingering sit on your tongue taste and um you know me i don't hate on many ipas or imperial ipas no. at all 
this is not good. And Evil Twin's a great, great uh, brewery. This is just shit beer. All right, so <laughs> we're both 50% tonight on the beer. Exactly. You had one bad one, I had bad one. So we do have a spread this week. Unlike last week for our podcast, I didn't see a spread until the day of, and it ended up being 39.5 against Delaware, and I would have never taken that uh, 39 and a half in that Delaware game for us. And, um, and they didn't cover, but we do have one for this game. It's 21. We are the favorite number 16, Virginia tech going to Greenville playing East Carolina. What are your thoughts, Rob? What are your overall thoughts? I mean, this is tough. It's, it's on the road. It's at ECU. I'm going to go ECU. Um, mostly because I think Cirque could be in the game and, I just, you know, he kind of frightens me. So I don't have a great rationale for this one. It's a tough line that they gave at three touchdowns because I think that's actually that's pretty spot on of where I could see this being, especially on the road. Um, so I'm going to go ECU. I could see us winning by 18, something along those lines. But I don't, I, I, I don't know if we're going to get above the 21 line. I'm not super worried about this being a competitive game, really. I'm more worried about a backdoor cover when it comes to the line. They're, they're going to move the ball okay at times, absolutely, especially down there. It, it could be very unpredictable what can happen. <laughs> I remember a couple years ago, I didn't think it would go the way it did. We had a 14 nothing lead in Greenville last time, and it blew up right in our face. I think they're going to score 17. It's a question of whether we score 37 or 40. You know, and that, and it's right it's right there uh, on the road. So I'm going to take East Carolina too, but I you know I'm not, I wouldn't want to play this you know if uh, for a pick of the week or anything or a lock by any stretch. But I'm going to take East Carolina plus 21. We'll move the ball. They'll move the ball a little bit, but the difference is just going to be at some point or another we're going to turn them over and we should be able to make mincemeat out of that defense yeah. when it's all said and done. That makes sense. Next game, Oklahoma State going to Pittsburgh for a high noon kickoff. Oklahoma State's number nine. Pittsburgh is unranked after their overtime game against Youngstown State in week one and their loss to Penn State last week. They did cover, but they did lose by a substantial amount. Oh, the line is 13 and a half. Cover. <laughs> they did cover. We both picked them. So we'll remember that one because my picks weren't so good last week. Uh, Oklahoma State, 13 and a half. What do you got? Uh, Oklahoma State. So I think Oklahoma State could be as good as um, Penn State this year. They're, I mean, their offense is unbelievable. Their defense is really good. Uh, you know, on top of the hype that they got during the offseason, once I saw them out on the field, they look really, really solid. And, you know, the spread for Penn State Pitt was 21 and a half. I don't think this Something should be like a 13 and a half point spread. That's less than two touchdowns. So I'm going to go with uh, Oklahoma State. I think they can put up some freaking points on uh, on this Pitt defense. The noon start makes me a little bit uh, question, you know, the high octane offense at noon on the East Coast time slot. But uh, but I saw on Reddit there was this like thread that someone was in a barber shop with Mike Gundy today, and then he shaved his mullet into a rat tail, 
And so for that reason alone, I don't know if it's true. I can't, I can't prove it by any means. But if he has a rat tail, they are absolutely going to throttle Pittsburgh this weekend. <laughs> well, and you know where it is. So anytime in the Heinz field that you can – Pitt can take a massive loss, I want to see it happen because I hate that place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Rat tail power for Oklahoma State. I'm taking them as well. Yeah. Next game, Baylor at Duke. Uh, kind of a funny matchup, and Duke, the home team, is a two-touchdown favorite uh, against the once-proud Baylor Bears. Who do you got? Uh, imagine three years or four years ago us saying that Duke is a two-touchdown favorite over Baylor. Like That's yeah. Marty McDonald. When Mc- our Browns was complaining on national TV about being left out of the playoffs. Yeah. And now Duke's a two-touchdown favorite. That's like Marty McFly where he's got the uh, sports almanac, and then it's like, you know, that's not going to happen, and then it does. Uh, I don't know what to do with this. Baylor just came off of two atrocious, atrocious losses. Uh, I guess I'm, I'm going to go with Cutcliffe, but 14 points is a ton. So this is a this is just a stupid I, I got to be honest, this is a dumb game with a dumb spread because nobody has any clue. And, you know, these types of teams would never face off to, against each other except, you know, in situations where Baylor can't find anybody else. So I'm going to go with Duke, I guess, and see if Cutcliffe can. I mean, Baylor just lost to, like, two really bad teams. Yeah, it was Liberty and uh, UTEP? Yeah, something? UTEP. UTSA? It was, yeah, like yeah it was UTEP and Liberty. That's right. I'm going to take Duke as well. Uh, Daniel Jones is been on fire he's he's killing it and he's starting to make me a little nervous and i'm also kind of secretly rooting for duke to be at least have a good record whether they're actually good or not will have to remain to be seen because we don't have too many high profile home games outside of that clemson game and it would be nice if duke cracked the top 25 or at least had this new hotshot quarterback that we've been talking about but the nation is starting to to talk about Daniel Jones. So I guess I'm rooting for them, but I'll take Duke. I, I, Baylor just seems so lost. Next game, Notre Dame going to Chestnut Hill. Uh, it's a 13.5 point line. Notre Dame is the favorite. Uh, this is interesting. Last week we had an even spread in Wake Boston College, and Wake went to BC. And I got you on that one. I don't think you I did. beat you in picks this past week. No, I got you by one pick, but you're still beating me on the air. Uh, what do you have in this game? Because this is I got Notre this Dame. Is tough. So and let's like, first of all, I'm the biggest joker about what Chestnut Hill does to making teams sleepy. This is a two touchdown game, thirteen and a half point spread. BC just got they didn't get throttled, but they got pretty upended. They got beat pretty. Good. You got throttled by Wake Forest. Notre Dame just went and played Georgia very well. I don't care what you say. That was a good game, and the defenses were fantastic. That was not a sloppy game. That was a good defensive ball game. I think Notre Dame's still pretty good. They may have taken the the, the, the L there, but I think that's a good team. I think Notre Dame will be able to handle BC. I'll be surprised if BC scores more than a touchdown in this game, so I'm going Notre Dame. I felt like last week was an overcorrection on Notre Dame and how they looked against Temple. Uh, I don't, and and then all of a sudden they were favored by a bunch over Georgia, and now I think this is like an overcorrection the other way. I, I don't don't really know what's going on with these lines, yeah. but 
I'm taking Notre Dame because Boston College sucks. <laughs> they they looked bad against Northern Illinois, and they looked really bad last week at home, same venue. And Notre Dame, after you know Ch- uh, uh, Brian Kelly's comments, and he's he's already back to his old ways. Uh, they're gonna have to be fired up after losing by one possession, one point, whatever you want to call it. Yet again, yeah. So I'm I may have tweeted out something about that, but I don't like Brian Kelly very much. He should probably fire some more people. That'll probably help them win. <laughs> right. Nothing's ever his fault. Next game, UNC at ODU, and that'll be our opponent next week. It's a seven and a half point line. UNC is the favorite, but they're going to ODU, and I'll go first this time. I'm going to take ODU against a seven and a half, and. They're going to be so fired up for this game. They haven't been in FBS too long, and this is a big opponent coming to their house, an ACC opponent from the state over. Uh, they're going to be fired up, and I kind of like it, EC, ODU rather to maybe win outright because while UNC played well against Louisville, I think Louisville might not be that good. So yeah. I'm going to take ODU against the spread, but – that will might be my money line pick this week. Yeah, I want to take ODU. I really, I'm going to go UNC just because I had to watch that whole game against Louisville, and a few people, including myself, may have had money around that game, uh, and it caused me more stress and duress than it probably needed to uh, over that period of time because yeah. uh, UNC's quarterback actually looked pretty good. I was actually extremely surprised by the way he was slinging the ball around. That said, I think you, uh, you know, Louisville's defense might be garbage, uh, but you know, I'll I'll see what that shakes out to be. I'm going to go UNC, but I, I this is tough because I I like ODU going and winning this at home, fired up. I'll go UNC, and we'll see what happens. Next game, Clemson going to Louisville. This is a big game in the weekend in the ACC. Number three, Clemson, 14, Louisville, and Clemson is three-point favorites. Robbie, who do you like? I'm going to clear the air here uh, for a couple things. Uh, one, Lamar Jackson isn't underrated because everybody in the entire nation is saying he's underrated, meaning that by default he is perfectly rated as a Heisman candidate that is doing perfectly well. Properly rated. Yeah, pr- properly rated. Like, that doesn't even make any sense. That every If everybody thinks he's underrated, then it means everybody thinks he's really good. So shut the hell up, uh, all of the people that are saying that he's underrated because it's annoying me. He's exceptional. He uh, His legs are a lot more powerful than his arm, although he did sling the ball around pretty well against UNC in that game. I think they're trying to turn him into a more of a passing quarterback. I think they're restricting the use of him running the ball, and I think at the end of the day that's going to bite him in the ass and Clemson's going to win this game. So I'm going Clemson. I like Clemson as well. I think Louisville might not be very good. Maybe Lamar Jackson is – I mean, he's incredible. A a thousand yards through two games versus two Power 5 opponents – but we know how awful Purdue has been, and we know how terrible UNC's defense looks this year. So he's amazing, but Louisville as a whole, it, I don't think it's very good at all. And this, I think, might get ugly, quite frankly. I, I think Clemson could do bad things to that Louisville defense, even though they're at home and even though the games have been close. The further Louisville gets away from Charlie Strong – 
the further that defense falls. Yeah. And they have Lamar Jackson, and he's going to keep them in this for a while. But Clemson, if anyone's built to stop Lamar Jackson, it is Clemson. Clemson <laughs> held Auburn to like 115 yards of total offense. That's not like last last week. They literally shut them down with an 11 sacks, by the way. So yeah. if there's anybody that can do it, it's either Clemson or probably nobody. Last game we're going to pick was Tennessee-Florida. Tennessee's number 23. Both these teams are barely ranked, but it is a top 25 matchup, according to the AP poll. 23 Tennessee at 24 Florida. They just said they were going to play this game today uh, in Gainesville, and Florida's a five-and-a-half-point favorite. I'll go first. I like Tennessee not because I actually like Tennessee, but because Florida's been dealing with a lot, a lot of suspensions, there was a hurricane that came through their state. They don't have a quarterback. Uh, I'm going to go with Tennessee. They showed at least a little chutzpah in uh, coming back to beat Georgia Tech. Yeah, we both have Tennessee. So the only difference that we have on all our picks, which is unbelievable, is uh, I have UNC and you have ODU. Damn. Yeah, it's not going to. We were- it's not going to be a fun week. We differentiated a lot last week. Like I said, I did not have good picks last week, but I did get that Oklahoma on the money line pick correct. You did. Uh, that was that was my shining star, but there were some ugly ones in there too. Yeah. I think I got four out of seven. No, I got four out of six, and you got three out of six or something along those lines. Well, that'll do it for the podcast. Make sure to hit us on Twitter. At 2DVT, tweet us anything. If you have any of our koozies, tweet us a picture of any beer you're drinking all season in your koozies. Tweet us any questions, anything you want. You can also send us an email. It's 2DVT at gmail.com. And make sure to subscribe on iTunes and write us a review if you like what we do on here. Or even if you don't like what we do, tell us why. And until next time, go Hokies. Go Hokies.